to celebrate 20 years of Cape Talk. Here's one of your favorite personalities from the last two decades. 20 years of Cape Talk. Join the conversation. I say at the time, the time, as a matter of fact, the date, 2008, the xenophobic attacks of 2008 will be the focus with Regan Thor, current desk editor and news anchor. And just going to be chatting to Regan about what he remembers about covering this particular, um, I don't even want to call it an event, but a series of happenings which saw some people killed, which saw a whole lot of people saying, Mr. President, when are you going to speak out? All of those will be covered. And if you've got any experiences or if you have any insights, if you remember anything about 2008 and the xenophobic violence, you can call in on 021-446-0567. A very good morning to you, Regan. Morning, Kido. So you moved down to Cape Town in 2008, didn't you? From well, as Johannesburg. I was, yeah, as I was leaving Johannesburg, uh, the violence started erupting in parts of Joburg. And I remember thinking, literally as I was driving, um, it's only a matter of time before it reaches the rest of the country. And I arrived mm. in Cape Town, settled myself, and it was a matter of weeks. Um, if my memory serves me correctly, I think it was between March and May. Yeah. And suddenly things just started happening very quickly. But it happened at a very... Well, I don't want to say strange time, but it kind of cropped up out of nowhere in an area called Danoon. We all know it. Yes. It's, it's in the West. And um, I was there attending a community meeting where a delegation of government officials were meant to meet with community members. They would started sensing tensions there. And I remember it was a school field. Uh, community members had been called out. They had waited and waited. And as we've become accustomed... The people that they wanted to speak to, the leaders from government, didn't show up. We're talking specifically about national government. I do recall some city officials being there, but those weren't the people that um, the community wanted to be addressed by. And that aggravated tensions. I remember leaving that night. It was 7 o'clock. I remember thinking, okay, well, they're sort of petering out. The crowd is petering out. Everybody's going home. They're disappointed. They're a bit angry. But we've become accustomed to government leaders just not listening to uh, their constituents. So I was driving on Kuburg Road, and next thing I knew, it was about five minutes uh, after I left at noon, this police Nyala came barreling down Kuburg Road in the opposite direction heading towards the noon. Mm, yeah. And my stomach, it kicked in, and it said, something's not right. Mm. So I turned around. Reluctantly, because it had been a long day for me. I was, I, was, I was hoping to get home, get back to the office and finish up. Um, and then I realized, no, look, I've got to do this. I've got to go and check it out. And I went straight back and it just started blowing up. It was almost a case of you didn't know where to go in Danoon because there was just one hot spot. And after police would arrive there, there would be another area there where you'd see mm. people setting barricades or they Sadly, it was um, foreigner shops, and there were a lot of them around Cape Town, especially in these these um, disadvantaged areas. Yeah. And the one thing that struck me from that night, well, two things, was one thing having to cower behind a police nyala because we came under attack. Bottles and a few petrol bombs were thrown and rocks. And I'm walking behind this nyala um, doing a live crossing to the late Ian Crew, who was reading news yes. over the, the, the radio stations and just recounting that. And out the corner of my eye, I saw a group of men with shotguns. And they were obviously police um, in civilian clothes. And they were running down one of these narrow alleyways. And so I decided, let me quickly go there. Per- firstly, because I was, I was feeling a bit... I was feeling vulnerable. I was feeling vulnerable. I yeah. mean, yeah, I'm behind a police nyala, but when they when the, the uh, Molotov cocktail came over my head, that's when I realised enough is enough. I went down here, 
and a shop had just been looted. And there was this, it was owned by a South African man. And he was so angry and upset. And he was shouting at these people. And he was, you could see there were so many people. He couldn't stop them from doing that. These two police officers then came. They wanted to open fire with rubber bullets and decided, well, no. They just basically shouted them. At that stage, most of the looters fled. But then I remember the one police officer caught the one guy. Mm. He had him by his shirt. Yeah. And he kind of turned his back. And the shop owner came at him with a plank and hit him. That sound. Well, a plank connecting a head. With a head. And I think a lot of us have heard it. And this guy just went down. And the police officer just looked at him and moved on. And that was one of many um, scenes that night. Um, it was also the, the, the scenes of, it's not tragedy. Well, some would say it was a tragedy. But thankfully, no lives were lost. But people's livelihoods being yep. destroyed, going up in flames in one night. And the, the, the Somali shop owners just in tears. One man falling to his knees, crying and just shouting. Why, 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 why are you doing this to us? Of course, in the Western Cape, it was worse in a different um, area because of... The so-called, we, I put it in reverted commas, refugee crisis that it created. They're not necessarily refugees, so the, the textbook yep. definition of refugees. But the number of people that were forced from their communities, from Nomzamo to Luandle to parts of Kailitsha, Philippi East, uh, you name it. 100,000 people displaced. And they had to set up these yep. dis- displacement camps. They had to set up these camps, the city and, and the provincial government and the national government. And that lasted months and months and months, and the people just didn't want to leave. Some of them were understandably too fearful to go back to their communities. Some wanted to leave the country, and Home Affairs intervened and said, well, we can help you get back to your country. Others just said, well, maybe they just were, they, they saw an opportunity. They said, well, we're getting free food, we're getting free water, we're getting free sanitation services, yeah, roof over our head. Let's try and stick it out till the bitter end. It was always, just for me, it was the kids, though who were blissfully unaware to a degree of what was going on. But it was that aftermath, so to speak, that that stuck with the Western Cape. And and it was a huge, huge, huge problem. (sighs) Yeah, I mean, 60 people dead, 100,000 displaced. You at the coalface each and every day, um, most days, because you very seldom take leave. Uh, Do you think we've learnt anything? I don't think we have. Not with xenophobia, at least. Yeah. We've got a major problem, and it's, it's one of those things that's becoming more pervasive, not just in our country, but in the world. We spoke about it earlier with this anti-immigrant uh, sentiment that is, is bleeding through Europe, and we see it in America. Mm-hmm. We've had it for many years, but it's sad because this country is meant to be a haven. The rest of Africa was a haven for people who were fleeing um, apartheid, and they were trying to get away. Um, and we, we, you know, a lot of us are just not showing that kind of warmth and that oh. that welcoming attitude uh, to people. And, and that was the story that was coming through as well when you spoke to them. They said, "But why?" You know, people from Tanzania and Malawi and Zimbabwe and Mozambique and said, "You know, we were with you, side by side with you during apartheid, with your country, yeah. with the people that uh, that were fighting apartheid." And here we're being kicked out, we're being forced out of, out of our communities. Some people have been living in these communities for ten years. You know, they've been there. They. Yeah if you want to use that word naturalized, they become a part of the fabric. And now they've been treated like this. We're talking about neighbors turning on neighbors. How do you deal on a personal level? How do you deal with being faced by a barrage of negative news each and every day? I mean, you've been doing this for quite some time. I worked with you uh, when you were at 702, and I was doing talk at 9 up in, up in Johannesburg. So I've known you for a long time. How do you deal with it? Well, you deal with it through a bottle of wine. 
every so often. Um, but you also deal yeah. with it through just trying to find the good. And in those stories, in a story like that, in other stories that I've covered, really grim stories, you need to look harder. That's your job. You need to look harder and try yeah. and find the light. If you can't find the light in that dark tunnel, then then that's that. Our EWN journalists, sometimes the unsung heroes. You know, we do those talk shows and we cover all of these things, but the people who bring us those stories, the people who do those interviews, are people like Regan Thor and everybody else at EWN, and lots of respect to them. So over the past 20 years, what do you remember? Your calls on 21 446